navy blue Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. And welcome back to the Vic State Cricket Podcast. Our special guest this week is someone that, well, he's got so many different hats, I'm not really sure where to start. But uh, his name is Jason Backer, former Victorian player, cricket manager, former Cricket Victoria administrator. There's a lot to get through. Jason, thanks for being part of the program. Thanks for having me, Whitey. Pleasure to be here. You've got such an interesting story to tell, and I, I'm interested in your own mind. Are you now, do you see yourself more as a former Victorian cricketer? A, a, a former administrator here at Cricket Victoria, or do you see yourself as now player manager, athlete um, manager? Ooh, I, I wish I could say I see myself as a former Victorian cricketer, but uh, I guess in in uh, if you line me up compared to some of the other people you've been doing, the players you've been doing podcasts with, um, I'd probably be stretching it to say that. So I don't know. I guess in life just depends where you are at that point in time, how you view yourself. So... I mean, I'm sort of a hack cricketer now. I look at myself and it goes back to early days and obviously I was an administrator here. I worked at Creevy Tour for nearly a decade and sort of forged my own path after that. So where you, where it's wherever you are at the given time. So um, but it's a nice thing to say that I played for Victoria. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk about your career shortly, but I'm interested even you coming back in today here to Cricket Victoria. How do, how do you feel about that? Because it's a different place, obviously. You are up in Jollymont, I think, when yep. you were there. Yeah. A much bigger place. What, what's it like when you walk in the doors again? Um, I'm jealous. I'm jealous walking in here to see what what everybody's got in here, both from a, a work perspective mm. um, for those off the field and for the boys on the and girls on the field now. Um, just to see the you know the net session going on as you walk in. It's a just it's fantastic. Just what a great feeling. I mean, we're always a little bit disjointed in the day when I played, and even in admin. You know, if you're training, you're training at the MCG or here or Xavier, wherever we were, um, amongst many. I think Chuck Berry often says, I, I don't know, he's got a list of however many venues he trained at over the years, but there was a lot. Um, oh, I feel really proud to walk in here actually and be part of the history of this place and this team and this state cricket history, a small part of it, but it's nice to be a part of it. So it's just phenomenal, yeah. So how did you get into administration? Because you were media manager, you're in marketing, you've kind yeah. of had all sorts of different roles Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Um, Oh, look, after about my uh, eighth failure in a row and (laughs) seventh game in a row without a wicket and drop catches, I sort of, I think I played a game in uh, Perth where as a one day, uh, Warney was captain, I think, and um, I think I got got run out for a duck. I didn't get a wicket and I dropped uh, Gilchrist off Warney in the deep mid-wicket in front of the, um, the hill at the Wacker. Wasn't feeling really good about my future prospects after that day. So, uh, and I walked up the race and it was almost a bit like, um, so John Scholes, Barrel was coach and he said along the lines of, you know, have you got your, your affairs in order um, <laughs> for life <laughs> post cricket? So, um, so yeah, look, I, I went and studied. Um, sort of I knew that my fortune, not that I still haven't found the fortune yet, but I knew that my fortune was going to be made as a player. So I went and... I thought the next best thing, with advice from some key people in my life, I went and studied while I was playing at Deakin University. Uh, went to the Burwood campus. I was a Geelong boy, but I made the move up to Melbourne. And I thought it was good to get out of the comfort zone of Geelong. So I studied um, sort of human movement and moved into sports marketing, sports science um, then. And I guess the last few years, the, the, the media was coming into the 
um, mm. into the equation in sport more and more and more and people, the, the states and sporting organisations were putting on um, dedicated media managers. So, so yeah, I was lucky enough that and when I retired and I probably retired probably a bit prematurely but, um, yeah, I, I took the opportunity on and um, used my degree to good good use. Mm. Um, it was about the time of the Sydney Olympics. I didn't go to the Olympics, which I'm still frustrated to to this day that I didn't go to the Sydney Olympics because I got the job and I wanted to commit to the job. Um, but, yeah, look, it served a few purposes, a degree. I My last few years coincided with Brad Hodges, I think, seventh and eight years at De- Deakin Uni. So I actually helped get Hodgie across the line as well. So it was sort of like two degrees in for the price of one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, they were good times and I um, – and then my job at Cree Victoria evolved from there, as, as often does for yeah. people. Where did your love of cricket come from? Um, I think my love of cricket comes from not being good at football, so or good enough at football to play <coughs> for Geelong. <coughs> Excuse me. Right from the start, I think, playing backyard cricket at home with the grandfather and, <coughs> and dad. Um, I remember the early days going to test cricket as a, as a kid, um, We'd always go to the Boxing Day test, not Boxing Day, but we'd always go up. And I remember seeing Ian Redpath make 100 against the West Indies when I was really young. And um, I couldn't believe that Redders lived in Geelong and mum and dad would drive past Redpath's Antiques in Shannon Avenue. And I couldn't believe it was the same Ian Redpath that I'd saw make 100 at the MCG against Andy Roberts and Michael Holding and, you know, all those types of players. And, ah. not a hard game to love. And then obviously World Series cricket came in and you just – they were just unbelievable days. You just – you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it was just – so, yeah, all my mates played cricket and some of my mates' dads – my dad wasn't a cricketer. Um, his dad was a Dutchman and sort of he didn't really come over to Australia with a cricket background. He sort of – but he took up football. He sort of um, was able to grasp footy a lot easier. Cricket wouldn't be the easiest – Game to grasp, even though Netherlands now have a team in World yeah. Cups regularly. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't through anything else other than just playing with mates and just wasn't a hard game to love. So then when did you realise you might have been pretty good at it? Uh, oh, I reckon I always had relatively good um, hand-eye coordination, you know, even table tennis and things like that. I was able to beat the parents pretty early and mm-hmm. um, could knock off Dad, I think it was about the age of seven, when he was <laughs> when I could get past him comfortably. Um Oh, I think playing up, yeah, backyard cricket or even in the driveways with friends and all that, you could – I noticed I was able to hit the ball maybe a little bit better than some of the other boys. And and then I actually played tennis until about the age of 12 um, uh, and then with a few mates and then we thought, oh, our other mates who were playing cricket seem to be having more fun than us. So we came across to cricket, so we're under 13s and then I made 100 in my third game. So I think I made something like a 25, a duck. I still remember it quite – Vividly, actually, got a hundred in my third game, and um, on probably on a postage stamp, and um, then I guess at that point, I won the the pancake parlor um, award in the Geelong News that Tuesday night, and your name's in, you know, in a tiny little thing, and you sort of think your life's pretty good at that point in time, and, um, and yeah, I just from there, I was always able to score runs and get wickets, and well, I'm, I'm okay at this. So, because yeah. growing up in Geelong, I mean, it's. There's so many stories of great cricketers, great footballers from the area. Mm. So it's it's hard to get representative games as well and all that sort of thing because there's so many that are playing cricket and footy. So was yeah. it Dowling Shield and, and all that sort of thing, to, yeah. to, you know, your part, a, tr- a traditional oh, I wasn't traditional. Um, so my club, Grovedale, who I'm still very close to now, was just a f- 
a, a like a embryonic in its embryonic stages. Mm. Had a it went back beyond that, but it was starting to become you know had some good kids coming through. Started to realise that Grovedale as a club needed to step up and get into the main competition, the GCA in Geelong. Mm. Which they did. They got a turf. I mean, I started off on Melthoid there. Um, they got a turf wicket put in, which was done by volunteers. Um, I, and then I played schoolboys. I played all. I played hatch shield as it was then. I think it's Craig Shield now. I played hatch. I played schoolboys. I was always a bit reluctant though. Like I was really. It was one of myself and one of my mates, um, David Crosby. who was a you know my best mate growing up, and he uh, he was a good cricketer, but. I probably got pushed. I got maybe got a few more opportunities than him, but he was a very he's a very good footballer. He played state school boys footy, um, but I was a bit reluctant. I must admit, all the boys were down the coast. I lived in Gravedale. The next suburb along was Torquay, and they were all sort of chasing the girls and surfing and doing all this sort of stuff. I thought, oh, I don't know how to stand on a cricket field. I'm going to be down on the beach and doing all this stuff. And um, so I was a bit wobbly for a while there, to be quite honest. Um, I had you know Essendon were very. I went and played a bit of Dowling at Essendon, but I was always reluctant. Yeah. Um, so probably I lived in the the I had a fishbowl existence, maybe, and maybe not as much. I, I, I love the thought of playing for Australia, but didn't really want to have to move out of Grovedale to do it. I wanted to do it from Grovedale, which wasn't the way. So yeah, for quite a while I was reluctant, and you know I was probably frustrated a lot of people in those days. And I had visions of kicking a hundred goals for Geelong and. Um, Playing up forward there too, so probably um, obviously they were they were dreams, not true, not real visions. But I, uh, but yeah, I just I kept playing, and probably thanks to some really good mentors and people that got a hold of me, um, I sort of kept it going. But I was I was late, I was late to finally the penny drop where I thought I've got to really give this a go, and that was when Geelong was admitted into the VCA and Premier Cricket in '93. That's when things really started for me. And the batting and the bowling, because you got this unique situation that you, I mean, it's really hard to work out whether you're a better batter or a better bowler based on your statistics and yeah. based on my memories of you as a cricketer. Yeah. Did you did you have a one that you thought was better? Because sometimes it's about opportunity as well. Yeah, I think I was a better batter. A lot of people would say uh, who have seen me bat would say, uh, "Well, your bowling wouldn't be very good if you're a better batter." I think I was, um, but you know. When I played for Victoria, I, I missed opportunities I should have taken. I'm filthy on certain things that I did, but, um, but you know, um, you look back. But when I was playing, you know, Matthew Elliott was at the top of the order, didn't leave a lot of runs for the rest of us. Um, got 100 nearly every time he batted, it felt like it. Um, Brad Hodge, Dean Jones, Laurie Harper, um, you know, it goes on and on and on really. We had, we had very, very good teams. Um, probably didn't get the success we should have got, but yeah, unbelievable teams really. Bowling, I think bowling happened. Uh, it's funny for me, but I was never really a bowler. Um, but with Geelong in the early days of Geelong, I bowled out of necessity. Um, and then I guess again with good mentors, good people looking after you. The guy called Peter Cox, who was our first captain at Geelong in the nineties, who was a Premier Cricket legend and played some games for Victoria. He, he encouraged my bowling and sort of come along. At, um, I remember played a couple of games for South Melbourne when I was 19 and they gave me a chance with the ball and I got I think I got three for eight and two for six in the ones and when I was pretty young and uh, that was before Geelong started obviously. And so I was able to actually get wickets. Um, didn't particularly know what I was doing with the ball but I was able to put them on a spot and hit the seam. So, uh, but my bowling did 
my confidence grew with I went went along with the batting. So I liked to be involved in the game. And I think as my batting got better, the bowling got better as well. And that's probably why I got picked for Victoria was the all rounder type thing. Um, but you know, uh, I think I was long winded answer. I think I was a I think I was a better batter. I just probably didn't show that for the Vicks on enough occasions. Can you remember the moment that you got that call to say you're going to play for Victoria? Oh, well, I do. It was crazy, really. Um, I mean, I was—I I didn't really start playing Premier Cricket for Gro- uh, for Geelong until I was sort of like 25, um, so late starter. Um, and Geelong obviously started up. I was in the first ever Geelong team. Um, I was just hoping to get a game in the ones, really, hold my spot in the ones, and I came third in the Ryder Medal that first year, which Gary Watts won. Um and at the end of the year, had a how Ian Redpath was coaching with Ken Davis, was our assistant coach, who's well known around Victorian sport, Australian sport. And Redders at the end of the year said to me, "What's your goals for the next year?" We had our sort of end of year chat, and I said, oh, "I definitely want to hold my spot in the ones." And he was sort of like, "You know, what sort of goals that?" He said, "You just come third in the rider. You've sort of blitzed it um, for us. What do you mean you want to hold your spot? Like what? Why wouldn't you?" And I said, "Well." He said, why wouldn't you want to play for Victoria? I said, I can't play for Victoria. He said, well, you're the only person who's saying that. There's plenty of other people who think you maybe you can. I said, and I never even go, oh, I quite honestly didn't even give thought to that. Um, anyway, not not a lot, lot longer later, I was invited to do pre-season with the Vicks after just one year of, one full year of Premier Cricket, um, which we did predominantly up at Xavier. Um, so it was sort of a fitness-based pre-season. Dino was captain. So I drove up from Geelong, yeah, three, four times a week, going to Xavier, did pre-season. Then we had trial games up at Baruga in the sort yeah. of the footy finals bit before that and better weather and went well enough to get selected in a 14-man or 15-man squad to go to um, Darwin for our traditional pre-season series against, you know, normally other states and the Australian Cricket Academy as it was then, New Zealand. So I went up there for that. So it happened really quickly and I went well enough in that to get picked in the first which was then the Mercantile Mutual game that season, which was under lights at the Wacker day-nighter. We were wearing shorts for the first time. So the first, I think the first only time um, a team in Australia has worn shorts in first-class cricket. Uh, uh, David Emerson was the marketing manager and it was, I think it was Emo's idea, created all sorts. So I was, I was nervous enough as it, as it was without having to put shorts on with my skinny legs and um, walk out on the Wacker, which happened to be Adam Gilchrist's first game for WA. And I remember quite vividly him um, getting booed as he walked out to bat by all the crowd at WA, so um, replacing Tim Zura in the mm-hmm. team. Damien Martin was captain first game. Anyway, we won the game and um, I didn't really do much, but it was bloody good experience from 12 months earlier um, playing for Grovedale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so and some of the names in the Victorian team, you mentioned a couple of them before, but mm. especially in those one-day games. Um, Western Australian Victoria, it's your first game under lights, day and night, and you've got superstars everywhere. Mm. How, how do you not think about that and just concentrate on, on playing cricket? I actually, you, I actually just didn't think about it too much. I think if I had thought about it too much, I would have just sucked my thumb. But I I, um, I actually caught Gilchrist that night out on the boundary, hit it higher than the, the light towers, and I don't know, I, 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 suddenly I, just, I think I closed my eyes, just put the hands up and just go, and it sort of stuck. Um, <laughs> You don't think about it too much. Actually, you'd be totally overwhelmed if you did. So you just roll with it at that point. But the the boys were great. I mean, it was, geez, it was they couldn't have been any more welcoming. Those normal people. I mean, Chuck was, you know, 
his big personality in the team and he's always the one to make the new guys feel welcome the quickest. Mm. Um, you know, Les Stillman was our coach at the time. So Les, I think Les called me Justin for the first three parts of the year and I think it was Baker, Justin Baker instead of Jason Backer. So I sort of that keeps your feet on the ground, doesn't it? You don't get too <laughs> carried away when uh, when that's going on, the coach is calling you that. But anyway, he was, he was good to meet and very good to select me. So, yeah. Shane Warne, Matthew Elliott, Brad Hodge, a few of the names you mentioned before, and Harvey. Rifle, Fleming, Dottermade, Hughes, yeah. goes on and on. It's Barry. crazy. It was such a strong time. Did, yeah. Was there enough success for the for the amount of good players that there were? And that's a hard one to answer and it's a hard one to quantify because success means many different things. If yeah. you're playing for Australia, that's successful for Victoria yeah. cricket. But then if you're winning titles, it's also successful. Yeah, not not as – we should have had more success. Um, I think I think what's happened now is those states have unlocked how to have success in domestic cricket but also provide players for the top level. I think if you were providing players at the top level, it was hard to succeed domestically. Mm. I think New South Wales probably unlocked that pretty early and we were able to – I think at one point they sort of had six, seven, eight players mm. in the national team and then they are still winning the Sheffield Shield. So I think that's where Victoria's got to definitely. Um, but, you know, we, I think the Victorian cricket we – Provided Simon O'Donnell not long retired, Dino, um, Flam, Merv, Warney, Pistol, Matty Elliott, Brad Hodge later in later times, Ian Harvey in later times, Dodders. I mean, God, that's successful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it's obviously before BBL time, but it felt like at that time you talked about the shorts, um, players out, uh, spectators out on the field with the the ropes in. The Bush Ranger thing was it quite a new thing at the time. Mm. There was a bit of celebrity about the Victorian cricket team at that mm. time that you were playing. Yeah, oh, there was. It was. Um, I mean, even there was a bit of celebrity about playing well in Premier cricket. I mean, the Herald Sun used to have a. I want a beer fridge for the Herald Sun Player of the Year, or like <laughs> in the shape of a VB can, um, which I've still got. This holds pride of place at home. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's just different times, but absolutely, we you know they uh, produce posters with us dressed as bush rangers, and uh, you go on fo- all sorts of photo shoots here and there. They TV commercials. It was you know the, Richie and Tony and Bill were commentating on on matches on the one days the Mercantile yeah. Mutual. Um, duh, I feel so lucky to be to have played a part in those times and been part of victories. You know, we won a couple of titles. Um, in that period, and I mean, the first year I played for Victoria, we won the we won the Mercantile Mutual, so I was lucky enough to play in that. And um, yeah, they were great days. You did very well in one of those games too. Oh, I think I did well in both of them. Why do you get <laughs> your stats? Over? No, um, I think I, what happened is I cleaned up the tail. In um, I think, well, I'll tell you what happened in both of them. Both both teams identified me as the. Um, the, the bowler to attack. <laughs> I was able to sleep under the guard. They treated everyone else with respect. So we'll get our bulk of our runs off this guy and um, it didn't quite work out that way for him. But, uh, yeah, no, it was – we beat, I think, South Australia in 90 – was it 94, 95 with the shorts on and um, Troy Corbett – I got four, Troy Corbett got three, but um, Ronnie Corbett, he got the top three. But, you know, we don't have to delve too deep. I probably didn't have to mention that, but he got the first three bats. And then I think in 98, 99, we beat New South Wales. Um, and, uh, yeah, oh, they were great great days. I'm holding them very close to me. Now, you you were sort of – at times it was felt like you were 
you and Ian Harvey almost playing for the same position in a lot of ways. If yeah. he went away and played for Australia, you got probably more of an opportunity. But an all-rounder, we've spoken to John O'Merlo and Fergus O'Neill, great mates here at Victoria at the moment. There's only really a spot for one. And then you're throwing Will Sutherland as well. So it's yeah. a specialist sort of role, yeah. which is good because you can do both. Mm. But sometimes it means there's only a spot for one person yeah. like a weird keeper. Yeah. Well, if you add into the mix, so there was myself and Harves, then there was Tony Dottomade who was older but, at the you know, still around, and then Ian Rigglesworth who was yeah. an excellent, you know, an outstanding player. So there's the four of us really. And at times, I think there was times the four of us, we might have played in the same team right. a few times, not not heaps. Um, so I, I think sometimes maybe the selectors get seduced for the fact that you give so many batting options and so many bowling options with having guys that do both. Um, I reckon out of those four, I was probably – I reckon – I'm not saying I was the best bat, but I was probably the most – I was I saw myself as maybe the more pure bat. Um, I don't reckon – I reckon, as I said, I think my bowling was a bonus. And I think my bowling helped me get picked, but I'm mm. sort of somewhat frustrated at times about that because there's times I've thought – I don't want to get picked as a ball. I want to get as because of my ball. I want to get picked because of the batting. But it's up to you to put the runs on the board. There's a few pivotal times which sort of sit with you still. You think I should have. Um, Porky Parker didn't give me out that day, or whatever. Or this happens, you know. You think, but um, yeah, it was, it was great competition. And Harv Harv's was a bit younger too, and he was quite dynamic, and you know he could do things that I couldn't do. I could, I reckon, across the year, I could probably do similar. So maybe our output might be similar, but, you know, Haas is a hat-trick player. He's 80 off 40 balls. He's taken catches I'm not taking. So, you know, it's understandable why they selected that way. What I want you to share one story, but you, you might even say it now, but what was your favourite memory playing for Victoria? Is there a, a moment in innings that stands out, just an experience? Uh, well, the, I think the two Mercantile Mutual Cup wins was, you know, it was almost, yeah, it just sort of feel justified that you put that time and effort to stop football you know, to focus on the cricket. So they, they were incredibly, from a team-based perspective, that was brilliant. Um, I mean, I got a 80-odd once against WA at the G and Hodgie wasn't playing. I went up to four and had a pretty strong attack, Bruce Reed and Joe Angel and, um, uh, you know, Moody was playing out Gilchrist. I got an 80 and I got three wickets in that game and might have got um, – and I think that was from a personal satisfaction perspective to play against England in a tour game, to play against Pakistan in a tour game. Um, maybe the highlight was getting selected as 12th man against the Windies so I didn't have to play against them at uh, Wangaratta. That might have been the highlight maybe, being 12th man that day. So um, – because the Windy's twelfth man was Kirtley Ambrose, and uh, so you couldn't get two more different twelfth men in, in all in the history of cricket, I don't think. And um, he didn't say one word to me, Kirtley, for the four days up at Wangaratta. It was a long four days, I must admit. So, um, and when, when I saw the Windies turn it up, Ian Bishop and Kenny Benjamin and Winston Benjamin, when because the first innings we got and we batted pretty well, and Graham Vimpani made, I reckon, one hundred and twenty odd, um, batted out of his skin, batted great. Um, but then the Windies. Got to about day three and they went, oh, we want to close this out now. And they just ramped it up a bit. And I'm like, I'm never I've been happier to be 12th man. So, um, yeah, so maybe that was the highlight. Why are you getting picked as 12th that day? Now, well, you haven't said what I thought you were going to say. Oh, okay. And I want you to share this story because you've told me this before. Okay. I'm 95% sure. The Abdul Qadir experience oh, yeah. of facing him yep. and what that was all like. Yeah. Well, that was for Geelong. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's, got, it's got a bit of traction, this one, hasn't it? There's, oh, it's a um, great story. Yeah, well, obviously Abdul was playing for Carlton and he won the Ryder medal that year by probably a record margin. I think he got 70-something wickets. Um, Riggles used to bring him on from about the – he'd let the, the opening bowl scuff the ball up over two overs, one over each, then he'd bring Abdul on for the rest of the day. Um, so it was a fair bet you were going to face a bit of leg spin if you spent any time at the crease. So, And I wasn't particularly well known for my mastery of spin, um, not not especially light on my feet. So did a lot of work at training with Ken Davis and um, and Redders that week in the – or the period – well, yeah, it would have been the week leading up to the game. And, yeah, I don't reckon I've ever probably played spin as, as well because I reckon every other spinner that ever bowled to me thought they were going to get me out every ball. So, yeah. Um, it was a brilliant experience. Uh, we were chasing, I think we were chasing about 220-odd. Myself and another good player from Geelong, Scott Lindsay, we put on, I think we got it to about 1 for 150-odd, 140, 150. And I, I must admit, I got to the end and I thought, oh, okay, I could take on any spinner in the world the way I'm batting here at the moment. I'm just picking everything. And I was I'm watching I was watching the ball like I never watched it before. I was picking his wrongs, I was picking his flippers, his whatever else he was bowling, his typical leggies or um, whatever. He had a different ball every ball. Um, and I was – and I, I think after T he just he just bowled um, – he just bowled – he bowled just standard leggies, foot outside off stump, spinning away every ball for a good half an hour. So it would have been sort of, I don't know, five, out, five overs, six overs, you know, maybe more. Um Every ball. So I was dancing down the wicket to Abdul Qadir. I'm driving him. I'm going on the back foot. I'm leaving him. I'm just sort of doing what I liked. And I thought I've, I'm on my way to a good hundred here. And um, and then there was just this ball middle of this over, as I said, maybe maybe 40 minutes after tea. And as it, it was about to land and I was about to just sort of do the lazy, sort of just rock back and um, cut it. And I, as it landed, I thought, oh, hang on. This seems a bit different there. And... Um, Sure enough, it was the wrong end. So he'd waited so long to bowl it and uh, I was oh, I couldn't do anything about it. I was already in position. I was too late. So all, all my only hope was the ball missed the stumps and just cannoned into middle stump sort of three quarters of the way up and and he just sort of, uh, you know, he knew he had – he just – he'd seen me. I was overconfident. I wasn't watching the ball obviously as closely and he just saw it and um, it was just – he was the fact he was prepared to – Wait that long before he unleashed it. And it had, look, had it missed the stumps, um, that probably would have snapped me out of my overconfident slumber, and I would have got back on the job. But nah, so brilliant piece of bowling, really hot day, um, yeah. And we had a tw- our permanent twelfth man called Dougie down at Geelong, who everyone in Premier Cricket would have known at the time. He's still around, Dougie. And Dougie um, Abdul was coming off the ground. Needed would have, anyone would need it. We're all parched. Would need a drink. And uh, Dougie met Abdul at the gate, and he said, nah. You're not coming off the tea break. Um, you're going to bowl, teach me how to bowl a wrong and out on the ground. So uh, Abdul spent 20 minutes of tea break teaching Dougie how to bowl a wrong and out on the ground and I don't think he even got a drink. Back out again. So, um, But uh, that was a great experience. Yeah. Do you, so before we go into the management side of things, do you, are you still connected with Geelong or still connected with Victorian cricket? Yeah. Did you play much after you played for Victoria? I played for Geelong for uh, probably three or four years. I really enjoyed those years with Geelong. Um, we didn't win a flag. We muffed one up one year, which I'm still great on me. We really should have won. And I can't remember the year, but early 2000s, we got beaten in the prelim by Essendon in a freakish game. And um, we always had a big rivalry with Essendon. So it was the perfect team to play. And it was a rain-affected game. And, yeah, look, 
you play that game 99 times out of 100, we win it, but that was the one time and pretty average captaincy by myself if I think about it now looking back. But um, but I enjoy those years which are long after the Vicks, but that was it. Um, yeah, I was done. The body was cooked. And I think we sort of retired players probably a bit earlier in those days, didn't we? You mm. sort of thought, oh, I've got to get into the real world and mm. focus on your job and your career and your family. So, yeah, so I didn't – do I? Re- I don't retain a strong enough connection. No, um, I'm reluctant. I'm a, I'm a average attendee at past players' days, which I feel bad about. I think, but I, I get back to Geelong and Grovedale a bit, but probably not as much. Um, but I don't know. When you see everyone, you just it's like yeah, it's like it was yesterday, really. So I I keep in touch with a lot of the. I keep in touch with Damien Fleming a lot with Flem. Um, and obviously Geelong boys, I still keep in touch with them a lot. So, um, but yeah, I always try to keep up. I see Sam Elliott playing with the Vicks, so obviously I was really great mates with Matty Elliott in the days playing with the Vicks. So it's good to see the next gen coming through. Mm. And one of the reasons why you might not be as connected as you like to be is because you're so busy. Now you've you've changed jobs and mm. changed career paths in a lot of ways into player management. I'll, I'll ask you about Cadell Evans, but I, I do want to talk more about your cricket connection because a lot of people think you're just Cadell Evans' manager but mm. you also manage Andrew McDonald, the coach of the Australian cricket team. You did manage Dave Hussey there for a while as well, mm. um, Sam Harper, Ashton Agar. Yep. The names go on. It's, yep. it's quite a good little portfolio you've got in the world of cricket management. Yeah, yep. I um, and, and it's nice and I guess you could add um, Flem to that and yep. I look after Flem mainly for his, with his broadcast work. Um yeah, it's nice to retain. I, I haven't gone full on into cricket. I've sort of just it's a it's 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 a nice um, it's a nice level for me to be at. Um, just to step back a little, just just it's just enough, I reckon. Um, it's nice to have that connection, and obviously to see Andrew McDonald rise, you know, through his career, I feel really that that is really satisfying to me to see that we started off with a plan for him and you know a coaching career path and. Um, and how he's gone about it, and I guess we've, I've, I've felt early days that he was always going to make a very good coach, and you know he took a job at Leicestershire, and I don't think they'd won a game for two years, and um, I encouraged him to take that role. I think he got paid, paid in um, food vouchers, I think. To um, that was about all they could afford to pay him in the day, and he had to. He was the, I think he was the physio, the psychologist. He was the, he was the the permanent twelfth man. He had to do everything, but he got them on track. Um, as a county, and that started his coaching journey. Um, look, Sam, and I'm probably not your traditional manager for Sam and Ashton. I probably more, you'd, I think I would call myself more a confidant than a manager, but I feel like I'm that for all the people that I manage. I don't particularly love the word manager or agent or whatever else. I hate it really, but um, but I'm a bit of a confidant. It's nice to be involved in people's careers like that and see them having success when they have success. Obviously I was with Ashton when he made his 99 on debut when, I mean, that wasn't far short. The The hysteria after that wasn't far short of Cadell winning the Tour de France, to be quite frank. A lot of big statements were made, a lot of, you know, million-dollar contracts that were floated up, but, um, but Ashton would know the real story behind all that and, you know, the the folly of people saying, ah, oh, you know, you're set for life and all this sort of stuff. So, and Ashton's had a... You know, he's had a, a journey that only I think a lesser person would have probably opted out by now. And um, but he's, I mean, it's great to watch him playing cricket with a smile on his face and doing well and in the Australian setup. So, yeah, I do love it, Whitey. But I, um, 
yeah, I, I wouldn't say. I think I've got about the right level of exposure to it. Does it help that you played first-class cricket? Does it help that you are a, a cricket person when it comes to these players that you said before about 100%. being a mentor or a confidant? You, you get 100%. It. So I just think I can – I think from a playing perspective and then from working in the sport from both sides of the fence, I reckon it has a huge um, – just think it has a huge effect and I think it's very positive – um, yeah, you're not just looking at documents and doing paperwork and saying, you know, registering for this or doing that. You you can actually offer something from a confidant perspective and a, a game experience perspective. So, um, yeah, I, um, I'm probably not the most prompt of managers, the boys would say, when it comes to being on top of paperwork and documentation and admin stuff and whatever else, but maybe from the other side of it, from their career strategy, the career well, career path, career journey, being there, helping them through all those experiences, the, the, the linear, the graph's not linear. So to help them through the ups and downs and all that, I reckon I'm pretty well placed for all that. One of your, I won't say clients, one of the people that you mentor, you look after is Sam Harper. Now, mm. I, I get excited, too excited, calling all the players Victoria, but Sam Harper is a special one for me. A, because of what a wonderful, beautiful person he is, but for the experience that he went through. And I know you were very close to that whole incident at uh, Adelaide Oval. Yeah. Um, how tough was that for him and, and how tough was it for the people around him oh. that he's essentially fighting for his life? Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was a low light. Um, anything Sam's doing now is just a, I don't know if it's a bonus, but it's just, it is fantastic to see Sammy going so well and had a great start to the year this year. And let's hope that continues for the rest of the Shield season into the Big Bash because Sam's a damn good player and not talked about yet on, you know, on in, in other forums in terms of moving forward. I hear about other players, but I'd love Sam to see his name put forward in the years ahead and he's, in, he's as impressive as they come, Sammy, but that, um, that incident in South Australia... Um, Oh, that was tough. So I went over, I think, the next day or the day after, two, maybe a couple of days after, he was not in a good way in a hospital. And he, had, he was all wired up and had um, nodules and nodes all around his head and everywhere, monitoring his um, – the neurosurgeon monitor, monitoring his brain activity and he was not in a good way. And so to see his dad, see Brian sitting there, Brian was um, stoic, he was strong, he was just, you know – he was what a, you would want from your dad, I reckon. It must have been very hard for Brian. But he comes from good stock, Sam, the Harper family. They're good stock, the Harpers, and they're tough. They're the nicest people you ever meet, but they're tough, um, tough competitors. And um, and Sam's tough. And, he, and and it's not always about being tough, by the way, let me say that. But, um, but he got through it and he's had a few wobbles here and there along the way. But, yeah, look, that day I wasn't sure where Sam, wasn't sure Sam had ever play cricket again. I just wanted to see him walk out of the hospital. You know, I think playing cricket again was the furthest thing from anyone's mind. But um, it was a freakish accident. So explain the – I mean, should have said that at the start. Explain what happened for those – Well, Sam was keeping up to the stumps and uh, I can't remember who was bowling. Was it John Holland? Uh, it might have been John Holland, I reckon. Um, and Jake Lehman was batting and there's a ball sort of went down leg side and Lehman went to hit it. Um, missed it, but he had the full follow-through and the bat collected Sam in the helmet. And it was more that the helmet, um, I think the helmet rattled, sort of the, the, it was almost like a car crash collision, the brain rattled in his head. 
So he sort of thought he was Sam being Sam. He thought he was good, I'm all good. Then all of a sudden he dropped to his knees, didn't he? And he was very, very wobbly and clearly they knew something was amiss really quickly, very seriously so. Freakish accident. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then he deteriorated after that. The brain had suffered some damage. So, um, But South Australia were fantastic, you know. Um, so uh, Jake Lehman come and visited him and Keith Bradshaw, like, Keith Bradshaw, they were um, they were very, very, very good, very concerned. They couldn't have been any better. And they at one point they said to me, "Is there anything we can do?" I said, "You know what? I remember coming over here playing shield cricket over here, and I will tell you what, if there's one thing I miss about playing first class cricket, it's the chicken and plum sauce over here at the Adelaide Oval." So he said, "Oh, I said, I know there's no game on, but how do we?" Keith Bradshaw went back, Tim Nielsen. Um, they made some calls. They got the caterers to come in on an off day. No cricket was on, come in, and they cooked up a batch of chicken and plum sauce for Sam and Keith and Tim and maybe Jake Lehman. They brought it into to the hospital for Sam um, rather than just the standard old, you know, um, potatoes, boiled potatoes and cauliflower and whatever else. You got this chicken and plum sauce, which oh, I just thought it was such a good gesture. I mean, it was ridiculous request by me, but they, they bloody went and did it. And um just shows you people in sport are good. Mm-hmm. People in, involved in sport, they're just good. We hear all the controversies all the time. People are good. Do you think it's changed, Sam? He's obviously had concussion issues since. There was that incident where he did some gymnastics out in the middle what of the day. What was that? Oh, well, sure. Hey? How's he sure. getting himself into these situations? But do you think it's changed his perspective on life a little bit? We should, probably should ask Sam himself at one point yeah. because you're right. I mean, he comes across as this sort of friendly, affable, you know, too nice sort of guy exterior-wise. Mm. But deep down he he's a competitor, he's a fighter, as you alluded yeah. to. I, you know what, Wardy? I don't think it has changed him too much. I reckon Sam's just takes every day as it comes. He attacks every day. He's, he's glass half full all the time. He might be occasionally glass. He may be a little bit like anyone, but by and large he looks at the positive of every situation um, he he's just he'd be a great person having the rooms. He'd be up and he'd see something in every some light in every situation. I don't think it's changed him too much. He's a father now. He's entrenching himself in the Victorian team. He's you know he's very entrenched already in the Melbourne Renegades team. I reckon I reckon the world's his oyster. And um, you know whether that be cricket, whether that be something else beyond cricket, which it will be for Sam. It's just being happy and living down the coast with his family where I think he wants to go one day, whatever, um, Sam will make a success of it. He's got a beautiful wife in Georgia. He's got a great family, support both his family and the in, his in-laws. Um, oh, Sam's on a on a good path. And the Victorian connection with Andrew McDonald, um, for the, it, we are the Vic State Cricket Podcast, um, to look after the Australian coach you're talking before about the Leicestershire experience. Now at the other end, the intensity of being the Australian coach and the, the complexity of of the being the Australian coach in the current um, situation. What role do you play? And and Andrew, who he doesn't say a lot, the the vulnerability about being that man in the spotlight that comes with it, particularly under the circumstances. Yeah. I think probably like I said with the players, you're a confidant, you're someone I mean there's a, there's a strategic element to it. Um, maybe more so with coaching than playing. I mean, there's, there's got to be strategy. You've got to have a plan. Everyone's got to have a plan. But, you know, typically with the players, you leave that to the coaches and the coaching staff and, you know, teammates and whatever. Um, for coaching, is a little bit more business-like, I think, the approach to it. But I still try and – it's 
it's been a trying time for him. I mean, if you don't, if anyone can't see that it would have been a difficult time for him, then um, you're blind, Freddie, really. So, it's been a difficult time to take over the Australian cricket team. Uh, when when he first went to the Australian cricket team, um, we were very careful. My view at the time, there's a lot. It seemed to be, you know, there's a lot of assistance, a lot of support staff, you know, on the ground before a game. It's sort of like, whew. There's a lot of people on the ground, a lot of people that go into this. And I was really concerned that he didn't get lost in that. You know, when you just become an, another not, another, another person in amongst that group because I always felt he's a he's a head coach. Um, but with just Justin Langer's um, endorsement and, and desire for him to come, to want the best coach, you know, outside of the Australian cricket team to come in to be a support, to, to, um, to bring that – Knowledge, experience, tactical acumen, relationship, building ability, uh, energy, love of cricket—all the things that Ronnie brings. Um, we were so we we worked through that with Cricket Australia, Benny Oliver, and the team then, and um, and sort of were really careful that you know it was really defined his position. It wasn't just bringing in him as another resource; that it was defined what he was to do. And I think you know he carried that out. Absolutely to the letter, um, and should be really proud of the way he did that and su- supported, you know, carried out his role. Obviously, then uh, events have changed in that time, um, and when he he eventually applied for the job of the Australian team men's team coach, um, that wasn't just a lay down as that I was, was going to go for it. He had to think long and hard about whether to go for the role or not. Um, he knew the circum, you know, the circumstances to come into it probably not not ideal. I think from an assistant coach, I mean, people draw conclusions or yeah, yeah, too, but they're too obvious. It's not as simple as that. But I encouraged him to go for it. I encouraged him to to do that. He he was at some point in time, yeah, you know, and Cree Australia at the time we said it was part of his. There was a succession element to him coming in with mm. um, Justin Langer, but there was no time put on that or whatever. It's the right time. Um, so it didn't quite pan out the way it was all, but, you know, what does in life pan out the way you think it's going to? There's always sort of little chinks and little twists and turns. Anyway, he's now the coach of the Australian cricket team and in my mind he's done a bloody brilliant job and has a very good team around him. Um, they're looking forward. They're not looking back. I know there's a lot of noise, but you just got to keep looking forward. It's too big a job to be worrying about outside noise. Maybe others have been worried too much about outside outside noise. I just don't know how you can even look at that as a coach. So um, that's what he's doing now. They've had some amazing series wins in Pakistan and Sri Lanka and they lost that bloody game in the 2020 to New Zealand. But outside of that, they haven't done a lot wrong. Um, carried a bit of a weight losing that game. Obviously, there was a big penalty, but... Um, They've done pretty well since, so and I'd expect they'll have a pretty good summer. And I think they're a pretty harmonious, happy camp and onwards and upwards. Two more questions. I'm not going to even really talk much about Cadell Evans' experience because it's been well told. Mm. But do you think if if it wasn't for Cadell Evans, maybe if it wasn't for Ian Cover for introducing the two of you, do you think you would have gone down that management path? And oh. so you are linked with, you know, some great cricketers and some fascinating characters? Good question. Um, I, my wife always said to me, sometimes we all say that, you know, your wife knows you better than you know yourself. So she often said that she felt I was 
mate, you know, I, I was made for that sort of role to manage. But you can't just start up a business and say, I'm going to go manage people. I mean, you're going to be destitute pretty soon because it's a long haul, you know, particularly if you're starting with young athletes that you go on the journey, there's no guarantees that, you know, they're going to make it and to what extent they make it. So, um, and there's a human side. It's not a business. Like it's a business, but it's a human business. So it's it's quite difficult. But look, it probably it's fair to say I think Cadell getting Cadell, which was totally unexpected and totally random, totally left field, and totally unprepared for that, and knew nothing about cycling. And but it's sort of a it's almost an exciting new new adventure to to learn about. So um, sure, it's yeah, it's given me a kick along. It's been hard too, though. It's been yeah, everything sort of. Not always as rosy as it always seems on the outside, but yeah, you know, I'm very, very lucky and fortunate, and um, you know, I've always lived by that very famous philosophy in life: you fake it till you make it. And uh, it's what my wife. I was over in France when he was about to win the Tour de France. I said, I don't know what to do. She said, just fake it till you make it. So I just uh, I kept doing that, pretend I knew what I was talking about, and we got through it. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a funny how the the way the life twists and turns. Absolutely. Now, just we're going to go back to right back to the start of this conversation. A player for Victoria, an administrator for Victoria, now looking after Victorians in the world of cricket. What does Victorian cricket mean to you when you look back on your life? And your oh well, yeah, uh, it's a it's a big part of yeah, it's a huge part of my life. This phase of my life, I'm you know I'm a very proud Victorian. Not so proud of our weather, but I'm a very proud Victorian. Um, I love. Yeah, I love the f- the role it's played in my life. I love the fact that I can say I'm a, I was a Victorian cricketer. Don't go and say it to – I tell the next-door neighbour every now and then just remind him. He's, I think he's got early onset of dementia, but I just remind him every now and then if I think he's forgotten. But um, no, it's just a nice thing to be able to – you know, I think we go – some I think 20 years or 15 years ago they had a, a, not a uh, coming together of all former Victorian cricketers at the MCG before the, the old uh, member stand was demolished and – just to see the people, the calibre of person and the calibre of cricketer and to be in a photo with all those people, it's um yeah, it's pretty pretty special. Something something for my kids and their kids to hopefully be proud of in years to come. So yeah, means a lot, Whitey. It's been great to have a chat. Um, as I said at the start, there's so many different facets to you and your career, um, and your life. And you've shared a lot of them with us, all cricket fans. Thank you very much for being part of it. Thanks very much. That is it for the Vic State Cricket Podcast for this week. We'll catch you again soon.